Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, remember where we left off? Um, our boy Jonah, um, last week, if you recall, he is much like Forrest Gump. He's on the run from God, right? God had commanded him, Jonah, arise. I want you to go to Nineveh. It was a great plan. God always knows what he's doing. Um, Nineveh is about 500 miles right where from Jonah is, so about 500 miles uh, away. And um, instead of obeying God's command, what does Jonah do? Jonah takes off the other way. And, and, and don't you just love Jonah? Can't you just relate? I mean, in our lives, there are times when, when God says, hey, I want you to do, and it, it, it may not even be going 500 miles away. It may not even be going five miles away. And God says, hey, I want you to love your next door neighbor. I want you to love the neighbor across the street. Hey, I want you to love your coworker. And we're going, God, really? And we go the opposite way, much like Jonah. Now, I mean, I mean, seriously, this, this, what, this is what, um, Jonah would be thinking or could be thinking. He's probably thinking, okay, listen, God wants me to go to Nineveh. Oh, you know the Ninevites, right? They're just cuckoo for Cocoa Pops. I mean, they're just crazy. They're killing people. They're our enemies. They, you know, I mean, I don't want to go to Nineveh. They got skulls all the way to the top of people they killed. Oh yeah, I'm going to walk in there. Come on, God. So I bet he's thinking, that's Nineveh. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to go to the opposite end of the world. I'm going to go the opposite of where God wants me to go. And, and basically, I won't have to deal with the Ninevites. I don't have to talk to those people. And if I don't go, well, guess what? Then they won't repent. And if they don't repent, then God, you can kill them because there are enemies, enemies. Now, where is the best place, Jonah is probably thinking, where is the best place that I could get away from the presence of God, right? Because here's what he's thinking. Here in Jerusalem where I am or how God is speaking to me in verse 1, I know that he's going to go and he's going to save those Ninevites. He's going to save them. I mean, it's not even a message of love. It's a message of condemnation. It's a message of, hey, 40 days. You guys are done. That, I mean, who, I mean, think about that. And all of them are going to repent. So where is the best place? I know where I can go. I know where I can go. I think... um Tarshish. Yeah, Tarshish is going to be the best place. And you go, why Tarshish? Well, check this out, guys. Tarshish is a 2,500 mile, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where Jonah received God's call. So instead of going 500 miles in obedience, he's going to go 2,500 miles in disobedience. And if you're taking note, just for the sake of our study, Tarshish is on the very tip, on the bottom tip of Spain. It's, and basically at this point, Here's what they thought. They thought that this was the end of the world because they had never explored farther than the Mediterranean. If you were to take the Mediterranean and you would follow it, you would get to Tarshish is what most people say. Well, they've never gone any far. So what do you think Jonah's doing? He's going, I'm going to go to the ends of the world because God, you won't be there. God, you're working here. God, you're working there. God, you're on there. But I'm going to go to the end of the world. What I find interesting, and of course, it'll be in the middle of the night, but... Um, when we go to Israel, we'll actually fly over 
that southern tip of Spain as we make our way in and over the Mediterranean Sea into Israel. We won't be able to see it unless it's daylight, but that's where Jonah is going to go. So what does he do? Well, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship that was going to Tarshish. Now, let me stop you right there, right? Because right here you're thinking, this must be God. I mean, listen, first of all, God says, go. I'm saying no. And so I want to go to, let's see, where can I go? Right? Pull out Google Maps on his phone. He's like, where's the ends of the earth? That's where I need to go. It just so happens there's a ship going to where I want to go. God must be in this. Circumstantially, we think that's what happens, right? Well, guess what? That doesn't always mean that God's in it. Jonah finds a ship going to Tarshish. Why? God already has this. God already has this. Let me just say this. Like some of us, life, life, okay? We, we really do want, guys, we want to see the parade from the beginning to the end. We want to see the parade. Here's where it starts. Here's where it ends. And we feel like the parade is our whole life, okay? So we want every piece of our life just given to us, and we can see it, and here's how it's going to end. And that's, but that's not how God works, is it? God works on the parade one float at a time. And so as we walk this life, as we do this journey, we go, okay, what's next? And it's frustrating because we want to see, when does this parade end? But that's not God. God says, no, I see the parade. So you go ahead and get in that ship, Jonah. Go on, go ahead and get in the ship. Why? Jonah, guys, had, had no heart for the lost at this point. And you understand, he's a prophet of God. He's a pastor, He's a pastor and he's preaching and he's, and he ministers to people and you know what? And he has prayer meetings and he's, and he's loving on people, but something's changed right here. He doesn't have a heart for the lost. And I think we can learn a lesson from Jonah. You go, why? I think at this point we can say that Jonah had lost that loving feeling. He has no interest in loving people back to life. Jonah, yes, sir. Go to the Ninevites. No, sir. He had a cold heart and feet to match, right? He had cold feet, and so he went to Joppa, which is modern-day Jaffa. He may have rationalized the situation by saying, well, it's God's sovereign hand that I actually found a ship when I needed it. Google Maps said I need to go to Tarshish. Hey, where's this ship going? Tarshish. You're kidding! All right, I'm going in. So Jonah got up and he began to run from the presence of God. But as we read the story, we'll realize that his steps were always downhill. Guys, trying to flee from the presence of God is our very first mistake. Now, listen, 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 listen. Sometimes when we are being disobedient, we want to flee the presence of God, and it is our very first mistake. But can I say this? Can I say this with as much love in my heart as I can muster? Guys, sometimes when we're being obedient and we just still find ourselves in a storm, we tend to walk out of the presence of God. And really, what he says is, he says, stay in my presence. Stay in my presence. I wouldn't call it a mistake, but we tend to do that. Why? We don't like hurt. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. And when something happens to us, we go, and the first thing we do as we get out of the presence of God. Why? Well, guys, if you're like me, um, whenever you're going through something, some difficult things in life, here's what you tend to do. What you tend to do is the same thing I tend to do. You tend to fix it. You want to fix it. You want to see something happen right now. Okay? 
If you are, if you applied for a job and you're waiting for the job to come through and, and it's been weeks and, and, and you really need this job and you've prayed about this job and, and what happens is that you're just unsure. You're going to, you're going to do what I do. You're going to try to call, make some calls. Hey, hey, did you, what, what do you, what have you heard? What's going on? And we try to step out when I think we should just stay in, in the presence of God. In the presence of God and worship. Just worship. Pastor, that doesn't make me feel better. Just worship. He's got this. He's got it all under control. Jonah makes the mistake. Jonah says, I'm going to the ends of the earth. I'm going to flee the presence of God. Well, think about what David wrote, guys. Jot this down. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 7. David writes, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? right? What's the answer to that, church? Nowhere, right? David says, like, like, where can I go then get away from God? Nowhere. Where can I go from your, away from your presence? He says, if I ascend to heaven, if I get to go to heaven, he says, God, you're there. Can I just say this about heaven? Can I just say this? Just a little nugget of truth about heaven. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. That should be our whole heart and our whole affection and our whole, this is why we are, this is why we're just sojourners on earth because we're just, we're just passing through. How you doing? Just passing through. See you guys. Why? Because heaven is home, but heaven is heaven because of Jesus. Let me let you on a little secret. You want a little piece of heaven here on earth? You got it because Jesus lives in your heart and you have him here. You have him here, a little piece of heaven. Why? Because he brings you what? Guys, he brings you peace, and he brings you joy, and he brings you love, and he fights for you. He's your advocate. He's praying for you. He knows all the hairs that you have on your head. He catches every tear that you cry in a bottle, and he's saving them. I mean, that's the God I want to serve. There's a little piece of heaven here. David writes, man, if I go to heaven, he says, you're there. He says, if I make my bed in hell, he says, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Guys, Jonah is trying to run from God's presence. Jonah is trying, he's in disobedience and he's out. You realize that he resigned his office. He resigned his job. That's like me going, okay, y'all, I'm not your pastor anymore. I resigned. God asked me to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm gone. That's what he's doing. I mean, the, the repercussions are like, are you kidding me? David says, Jonah, dude, listen, you can't run from the presence of God. Now, if I were a betting man, I bet that Jonah, he actually knew that he couldn't run from God's presence, right? He's a prophet. He's talked to God. He's, I mean, I, you know, like, like if, if we were going to bet, I'd say, yeah, I think Jonah knew. But right now, where Jonah is a prophet of God, he probably wasn't thinking, or he probably wasn't thinking in his right mind. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's probably what, you know? I mean, here's what I want you to think about for a second, okay? Think about this. 
if God in his great mercy allowed Jonah to make it to Tarshish, now we've read the book, but let's just say God said, okay, Jonah, here, listen, I've got this ship prepared. Go. You want to go? Go. You want to be disobedient? Fine. Go. If God in his mercy allowed that, let me ask you a question. What exactly was Jonah going to do in Tarshish? I mean, like over here, he's a prophet. Over here, I mean, he's speaking for God over here. I mean, whatever he did, I mean, this is, this is his occupation. This is what he did. Now he's going to leave. He's disobedient to God. He resigned. And what's he going to do in Tarshish? I'm like, Jonah, did you even think this out? Dude, what are you going to do? He resigns from being a prophet. Not sure that he had any other work skills, right? What did you do before? Well, before I became a prophet, you know, I used to work on computers, so maybe I can get a job doing that. I mean, we don't know, right? So we, we, we don't get that. And, and uh, so my assumption is Tarshish was a, a, a seacoast city. So maybe Jonah was thinking, well, when I get over there, I'll become a fisherman, you know? Or a professional <laughs> surfer. I don't know. But he, let's just say he was going to be a fisherman, right? Let's just say that's, that's going to be his occupation. What did, what did you used to do? You used to be a prophet. What do you want to do now? I'm going to be a fisherman. But here, here's a question, guys. God hadn't called him to be a fisherman, did he? You see, God had called him to be a fisher of men, not a fisherman. And you go, why? Why would, why would God not allow him to be a fisherman but call him to be a fisher of men? If you're taking notes, remember this, guys. Number one. God promised that Israel would be a light to the Gentile nations. According to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it said, And God spoke to Abram, Abraham, and he said, In you, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God had said, listen, Israel, as you move mightily on this earth, you're going to be a blessing to the Gentiles. You're going to be a blessing to the Gentiles. Say so God is looking at the Ninevites, and their wickedness has come up before him. Their wickedness, he's like, man, they're wicked. man. They're, uh, but his heart still, what? His heart still loved him. He said he want, God, Jonah, I want you to go over there. I want you to go over there. Number two, number two, the reason that God called Jonah to be a fisher of men, number two, you ready? God loves all people. God loves all people. And you can jot this down right next to that. You guys know this. John three sixteen and 17. Why? Well, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. You guys know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. In other words, he bankrupt heaven for us so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's why. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. What did God, why, why did you send Jesus? But that through the world or but that the world through him might be saved might be saved. See, God loves people. God loves people. He loves his creation. And he's going, listen, I'm going to bankrupt heaven. And here's why. You think I'm going to send Jesus to walk around and condemn you all? Shame on you. Well, you didn't, you didn't serve me. Shame on you. Bad. Come on. And Jesus is like, well, you should have been. God didn't come in to condemn the world. He came so that the world might be saved. Might be saved. When we stand up here and we go, hey, how many of you are really saved? How many of you want to be saved? It's not because we want to fill the seats. We want to have numbers or we want to put a little, God, you know what? I did your work today. 17 people got saved. That's not why, church. Because it's eternity that's at stake. 
I'm here to tell you today, listen to me. God did not come to condemn you. He came so that you might be saved. You go, what's my job? Trust him. Step into that. Let him work out the details in your life. Pastor, I've got issues. Join the club. We all have issues. We're all mess-ups. We're all the as-is people. You know what I'm talking about? We, we don't have it together. Please don't come to church going, man, these people think they have it together. We don't. We're a bunch of misfits and a bunch of strangies and a bunch of outcasts. And God says, I love them all. But here's what they have in common. Help me, church. We're saved. And we're family. So, you know that person you're sitting next to? Get used to that. You're going to see him for eternity. You'll be like, okay, right? Now, the person that you ignored on the other side, you're still going to see them for eternity. We're a family, guys. And you tell me, you tell me what family has it all together. You tell me what family is not dysfunctional. You tell me what family doesn't have the crazy uncle. We have all that. But when it comes to family, what do we do, church? We stick together because that's what family does. Well, Pastor, I don't think that they, you know, we get into that whole judgmental thing. Well, I don't think they, and I think, listen, listen, we're family. We're family. You got issues? Well, let's deal with it. Let's walk in it. You got it? Okay. Okay. And when it comes to family, guys, we need to be family. We need to be family. For God so loved the world, guys, that he sent his only son, Jesus. That's a great place for an amen. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting night. In the same way, guys, our church, we are called to love people back to life. That's what we're called to do. Okay? Guys, you and I are called to be fishers of men and to go love the unlovable into the kingdom. It's a hard job. I mean, it's not easy. But if God looks down and he says, listen, I saved you for a reason. I anointed you. I filled you with my spirit. Now go love the unlovable. He's going to, he's going to equip you for that task. You go, Ben, there's some people that are unlovable. I just, I mean, it's hard. Okay, well, let me give you an idea. Maybe, maybe a way that you can love people back to life is simply literally praying for them. Maybe God's not calling you to go across the street and say, hey, you guys, you played your rock music till three in the morning, man. I'm going to, you know, whatever it might be. You might just have to go, listen, if I go over there, we're going to go to blows, so I'm not going to do this. But maybe your job to love people is to pray and pray and pray. Maybe, maybe you know, we all have these. We, we, have, we have so-called acquaintances that we really need to pray for. But if we talk to them, it's not going to go well. Just me? Right? Right? We all have bosses that you're just like, man, if they weren't my boss. Maybe the way you love people back to life is what? Is a, I mean, a sincere praying, God. Because here's what happens in prayer. God usually changes the person praying. Maybe he's calling some of us to really step out and love people. And maybe love people. Serve them in some way, some capacity. Buy groceries for those who need groceries. Give clothes for those who need clothes. Give coats in the winter, whatever it might be. God might ask us to take a practical step to love those that are unlovable, those that you wouldn't even entertain in your home. Maybe God says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Listen, I'm going to bless you on your check this week. 
You're going to get an amazing bonus, but I want you to take $100 of that, and I want you to buy food for. And you go over there, and you say, listen, this is what God told me to do. Love you. Just want to, I just want to bless you. I don't know how God is doing it, but that's what we're called to do. Guys, we're called to be fishers of men. We're called to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. He's not calling us to be theologians and going, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. And let me tell you this verse and this verse. And here's, here's how we break it down. And theologically, it means this. And the law of first mention is this. And he might just say, hey, listen, <laughs> I gave my life to Jesus Christ and everything changed. I had a peace that I never had before. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you would, you would know the old me. Well, what happened to the old you? That old person died, man. That old person died. And listen, let me tell you, listen, if, you, if you're here today and you can go back into your mind and you don't, I mean, you realize that old person, listen, I'm proud of you because that person died and God is going to use you in amazing ways. He's going to use you in amazing ways. But we're called to be fishers of men. And part of being fishers of men is just sharing your testimony. Just sharing your testimony. Here's what God did for me. Well, what do you think? I don't know. But I used to do this, this, and this, and, and I don't do that anymore. What do you think people are looking for in this world, church? What do you think people are looking for? Peace and hope, right? Their lives are a mess. And when they see you, let me, let me explain it this way, okay? Let me explain it this way. Let me see it, illustrate it this way. Several years of my life, guys, several years, I didn't like airplanes, Okay, I wasn't afraid of flying. I was afraid of crashing and dying. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I would get so anxiety about getting on a plane. I mean, it would, it would literally mess with my brain. Like if I had to go on a, like, like uh, okay, here's your job. You're going to go to Dallas tomorrow. Dallas is like an hour and a half flight. And I would worry myself sick. Worry myself sick. I just didn't like it. I just had no control. I just, you know. And I remember, and I, why can I be praying, God, please, and take this anxiety away from me, and I'd rather drive to Dallas. I just don't want to get on that plane, and, oh, I know, I know. I'll stay awake all night for an hour and a half flight. I'll stay awake all night, and when I get on the plane, I can just go to sleep, and then I won't feel anything. And then I thought, well, if the plane crashes and I'm drowsy, how can I help people if I need to help? I'm just, ah, until one day, until one day, I had some employees who worked for me who didn't know Jesus. They just didn't, know, didn't want to know Jesus, flat out didn't want to know Jesus, just didn't know Jesus. And we all got on the plane together, and I'm nervous, and I'm like, I'm like praying, right? I'm laying hands on the plane before the door. God, please don't let this, you know, I mean. And I see them. I see them, and they're sitting there. Heathens, right? They don't have, they don't have the peace that I have. They're sitting there, and they're just like, I said, you're not nervous? Nervous? About what? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, listen, you have my peace. And look at you're a mess. They don't know me, and they're sitting here like nothing. At that point, I was like, yeah. And when I realized that I had the peace of God, guys, I never worried about a plane again. I still pray. God, you know what? You're the pilot of this plane. Amen. You, you see, guys, because <sighs> he gives us peace. And that's what people are looking for.
So we're called to what? We're called to love people. You guys remember, Jesus put it this way. In Luke chapter 10, we read this last week. He said, um, they asked him a question and Jesus answered and said, and, and here's what you should do. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And so we broke that down. We said the heart is the source of our feelings. So we need to love God with the source of our feelings, our thoughts and our intentions. Isn't that, doesn't that put that into perspective, right? The next thing you're going to do, you remember, you got to do it with the heart of intentions for God. For God. He says, you need to love God with all of your heart. He says, you need to love God with all of your soul. And that's, our soul is made up of our minds and our emotions and our will. And it's who we are. We need to love God with, with who we are. With who we are. And then he says, you need to love God with your, all of our strength. And of course, that refers to our physical strength. And he says, and you need to love God with all your mind. Our mind is the leading part of our soul, directing the rest of our being. So God says, essentially, well, how are we supposed to love God? With every bit of us. With every bit. We're to love God. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, not only are you supposed to love God this way, he says, but he tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So again, the command is really clear that we need to love, we need to love people the way God loved people. He calls each one of us to love people, to discover, guys, compassion for people, for both those inside and outside our sphere of influence. We need to love people, guys, at our work, in our home, in our church, wherever God has us, our sphere of influence, we need to love people. Just like he's asking Jonah, because he's called us to be fishers of men. Well, Pastor Ben, I've got a question for you. Who are we to love? Who, who, who's my neighbor? Your neighbor, are, guys, are people um, who are unlovable. You go, who's unlovable? Well, listen, there's a lot of people that you and I, if we were honest, we wouldn't even give them the time of day. They're the unlovables. Well, who else? How about we're called to love the churched? The churched. Those that have grown up in church but have walked away from God, we're supposed to love them. Who else, Pastor? We're supposed to love the unchurched. The problem with loving the unchurched, guys, is that we know the Bible, right? We want to be fed the Bible. We're taught the Bible, and then we speak in Bible, and they go, have no idea who Jonah is. They have no idea that there was a fish. They don't know who Goliath is. They don't know any of that stuff. And we're like, hey, you remember Noah? And he's like, no, that's my, that's my cousin down the street. What are you talking about? We need to love the, those that are not churched, those that don't have any clue. We're to love them. How do we love them? Guys, patiently. Why? Because they're not, they're not where we are. They're, you know, patiently bring them up. Well, what should I do? And, you know, let's, 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 read the, let's read the Gospel of John. Let's get to know Jesus first. How about that? We can deal with Old Testament theology, but let's read. Let's learn Jesus. Let's learn Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What are you telling me? Well, verse 14 says, and, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. What does that mean? Jesus. And then you get a good picture of his life. You guys know what I'm talking about? How about this? How about we love those that nobody wants? How, I mean, think about this for a minute. Close your eyes and think about what our, what our church could look like and what our city could look like, guys, if we took that step and just loved those that nobody's even talking to, nobody wants. They've written them off. 
written them off. And here we come and we go, man, we're going to love you. We're going to love you. So if you're taking notes tonight, church, I'm calling this message, The Lessons in the Storm. Here's why. For tonight, we discover several lessons in the storm. You go, what's that? Number one, jot this down. Number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what that means. Sovereign means possessing supreme and ultimate power. We understand, number one, God is sovereign. He possesses, he is possessing supreme and ultimate power. Can I get an amen? God is power. That's, that's the first thing we learn. Why? Let me let you in a little secret. God sends the storm. God sends the wind. He's, he's in control. Okay? The sovereignty of God, guys, is a biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. Can I? Oh, gosh, that's so good. Why? Because everything that happens to you in your life has to go through God first. Everything is father filtered. Everything is father filtered. Number two. We see that God is what? God is sovereign. Number two, we see that the storms in life, or there are storms in life. There are storms in life, lessons we need to learn. Okay? And number three, jot this down. Things we lose when we are disobedient to God. Things we lose. Okay? So all of these are lessons in the storm that we're going to go over. So... We're going to pick it up and look at verse 4, but let's read 1 through 3 as we get so we can continue the continuity of the text. Amen? Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, he arose and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about broken up. Now this is a sad verse and you go, why? Here's what I want you to notice first and foremost, guys. First and foremost, God is no longer speaking to Jonah by his word, but now he's speaking to Jonah by his works. He's speaking to Jonah by the sea, Jonah in the wind, the rain, and the thunder, okay? You could say at this point, okay, that Jonah was the original chicken of the sea because he's running from God, right? But, but no longer is he here. Now, okay, okay, so, so listen, Jonah loses what? The first thing Jonah loses for being disobedient to God is that he lost the voice of God. In Jonah's lifetime as a prophet of God, he heard and he loved God's voice. But in his disobedience, his disobedience is now drowning out God's voice. So what does God do? He sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. That's what he does. And I want you to know the sovereignty of God. You go, what was that? Once again, it was God who sent the storm. Why? The Bible says, but the Lord sent a great wind. It was the Lord who sent out this storm. And let me just tell you this, church, it was not a minor storm. This was a doozy. The storm was so bad, it had every heathen sailor on there thought they were going to die that day. 
Okay, so understand, it's a tempest, it's tempestuous. I mean, this was not just like, oh man, the wind started going nuts. This was straight up, straight up a very, very bad storm. Now, think about this. Everything in nature obeyed God except his servant. Everything in nature obeyed God except his servant. And God will even speak through unbelievers to rebuke Jonah. Listen, let's learn the lesson. Let's learn the lesson. You ready? In our lives, we need to understand that sometimes, you ready, church? God sends storms in our lives. I mean, grab it. Hold on to it. Own it. Embrace it. You go, why? Well, there are several times, guys, that there are times that he has tried to get our attention through his word or maybe through a teaching. You guys know what I'm talking about. You hear a teaching and you'll get convicted, but you won't apply any of what you learned and, and or, he'll, or maybe a friend. But there are times in our lives when we tune out those things until God sends a storm. But see, storms in our life have a purpose. We need to understand where we are in the equation in order to respond properly. You go, for what example? Okay. Sometimes storms in life, guys, jot this down. It might be a test of your faith or faithfulness in a temptation. It might, be a, it might just be a test. It might be a test designed by God, by God to what? For your development. For your development. You go, can you illustrate it? Well, the Bible illustrates it a lot better than I can. Um, you can just jot this down. But listen, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4 says this. God is talking to Deuteronomy. He was talking to Israel. They had just come out, right? It's starting a brand new nation. And here's what God tells, here's what God tells the Israelite people. He says, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign and wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which we have not known and let us serve them. He says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God, fear him, keep his commandment, obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast. He's saying, listen, there will be times of testing, times of storm to see if you're going to stay steadfast to who God is. That's what he tells Israel. He says, listen, if a prophet says, hey, all right, here's some signs and wonders. Watch this. Right, whatever he does. He says, now listen, if he says, now, here's what God, thus saith the Lord, let's go serve this other God. Let's go follow these gods. Here's what he's saying. He says, guys, listen, it's a test. Because God wants to see your heart if you're going to follow the true commandment. And he does the same for us. Guys, storms in our life will say, okay, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to say, I'm going to stay fast to the Lord. I'm going to stay fast to God. I'm going to stay fat. This storm is hard, but I know. And, and what does it do, guys? <sighs> guys, there are certain storms in our lives that come as a test. And the purpose is to develop us and to see if we'll remain faithful to him or go the way of temptation. 
And remember, temptation is designed by Satan for your destruction. For your destruction. So we have those tests that just kind of say, hey, hey, where are you at? But there's also, number two, storms in life, guys, that, that God might be, it might be, it might be God's way of just trying to get your attention. Why? Because Jonah had already tuned out God's voice. He did. And he had said, Jonah, arise and go. And Jonah said, no. And you know what God said? Oh? Really? So the next thing you know, oh, Jonah's a millionaire. No, he's not. He's not a millionaire. Next thing you know, here comes a storm. And here comes the wind. And listen, God has called us to love his people back into the kingdom. And when we become flat out disobedient, we might see a storm designed by God to get our focus back on his will and his word. Listen, even though Jonah, even though he ran, was hoping to get to the ends of the earth, can I just say this? God still hasn't forgotten about the Ninevites. And they still need to hear the message. And so let me say this to you. You want, you want some great application in your life? Here's what it's been said. Number one, as a believer, either you are coming out of a storm, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're about to go into a storm, or you're right in the middle of a storm right here. You go, Pastor, I'm right in the middle of the storm. Let me give you some, let me give you some wisdom from God's word. You ready? Ask the Lord, God, what is the purpose of this and how can I grow? How can I grow from this? What is the purpose? Lord, are, am I supposed to learn in a way of, 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 of being faithful to you or are you trying to get my attention some other? Now, listen, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that every storm in your life, God's going, hey, wake up. I'm not saying that. I said there are times like we're learning in scripture that God will send a storm because we have tuned him out in what we are called to do. We've just tuned him out. God says, hey, first thing I want you to do, love me with all of your heart. And if we do that, a, a huge result is that we're going to love people. But sometimes we tune that out and we don't love people. We don't love people. And so God says, listen, I'm going to send some wind your way and I'm going to send some rain your way. And I'm going to, I'm going to see if you can, I want to get your attention. I want to get your attention. Okay? So the, it's important that we learn the lesson and we move forward. Notice it goes on in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship, into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah, Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, laid down, and was fast asleep. Doesn't that blow your mind? This storm was so fierce that the mariners freaked out. That blows my mind. They were afraid. Now you go, well, what's so, what's so interesting about that? Well, guys, listen, they were, they were, they were mariners. They, they made their living on the sea. They've seen a lot of storms. They, I mean, that's, oh yeah, yeah, I remember the great sea of 87, whatever it might be, right? The great storm of 87, I, re- I was there. Here they're freaked out. They're so freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. They pray to their God, whatever heathen God, and again, that's little G God. And not only that, they throw cargo over to lighten the load. I, I don't know if it was their food or what they could have thrown over, but apparently it was stuff they needed before. 
And now they're saying, okay, this storm is so bad, we're throwing things over, overboard. But where's our boy Jonah? Jonah, guys, had gone down to the lowest part of the ship. He laid down, and he's fast asleep. I mean, the dude is snoring while the whole ship is being broken up. You go, well, what does that teach us? What does that teach us? Well, the first thing that Jonah loses is the voice of God. Amen? But the second thing we see here that he loses, you ready? Jot this down, his spiritual energy. His spiritual energy. He, he, he loses that. The ship and its people were in dire straits because of the fierce storm, and Jonah, a prophet of God, was down below totally unconcerned about the safety of others. The Bible tells us that they were throwing things overboard, but Jonah was fast asleep. And he had lost that loving feeling for people, right? He just lost that spiritual energy. These men, guys, the men on the ship, they were not Israel's enemy like the Ninevites. And yet, guess what? It was Jonah who knew the one true God, and there he was. <sighs> didn't care. He didn't care. So what happens, verse 6, so the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Okay, let me give it to you in the New Living Translation. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Notice what this verse teaches us, church. See, Jonah had lost his voice. He had lost his, 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 what? his spiritual energy, and now he loses his power in prayer. He loses his power in prayer. Warren Wearsby, great commentator, writes, he lost his power in prayer and even his desire to pray. The heathen were praying, but Jonah was sleeping. Now, for the sake of our study, what would Jonah need to do to get back the power of prayer to the one true God? Well, for the sake of our study, we understand that he would have to confess his sins to God, right? Because he's in disobedience, and he'd have to say, God, forgive me. And then he'd have to do a second thing. He was that determined to obey God. But determined to obey God. So you go, what does that look like for us? Guys, sometimes when we lose and, and we lose God's voice... And we've just lost that spiritual energy. We're just like, eh, and we lost the power of prayer. Here's what we need to do. We need to run back to God with prayer and confession, and then we need repentance. We need to turn and say, okay, I'm going to be obedient now. I'm going to be obedient now. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I take that step and say, yes, I'm going to do this. But Jonah had to confess first. Why, why, why would God not hear him? Jot this down, church. Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's so important to confess those things. To confess those things. Verse 7. So they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose Cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, please tell us, for 
for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, Jonah? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what kind of people are you? So here's what they do. They get together, right? And they cast lots. And it's kind of like, eh, for the sake of study, it's like, it's like dice. They would throw the dice or they, and it would point. They would take some, some stones and they would throw them. They would cast lots and the lots would point and they point to Jonah. So Jonah's standing there up, up top, right? Wiping the sleep out of his eyes. And they say, what's going on? And so they start going, okay, so this is your fault. Tell us who you are. Why, why are you causing this trouble? Now, it's hard to know what motivated the sailors to think that the storm was sent because of God, because they had seen a lot of storms. But somehow they knew that Jonah was a prophet, and it could be, well, we're over here throwing stuff over, going, hey, hey, Dustin, grab this. Hey, Adam, help me, right? And Jonah's, so they were like, something's not, something's not right. Santos, go down there and see where, where Jonah is. I mean, what, where's that guy that got on the boat there in Jaffa? Go find him. So now he's up there, and guess what? I mean, think about it, man. And the lot fell on Jonah. Of course it did. The lot fell on Jonah. They ask him, what is your occupation? According to 2 Kings chapter 14, 25, it says that Jonah was a recognized prophet when he was asked, what is your occupation? And he answered, a prophet, when the sailors must have been even more terrified. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Jonah is in flat-out disobedience and sin. And, 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 and think about it. Can you imagine? What do you do? I'm a pastor. Excuse me? Yeah. But you're running from God? Yeah. Man, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. So look at verse 9. So we said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I feared the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Here's what Jonah says. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. What would we say to that church? Yeah, right. Jonah, if you, fear, if you feared the Lord, you would, have, you would have obeyed him. You would have obeyed him back in the first verse. You would have said, yes, sir. And he says, I fear the Lord of God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, guys, we've got about seven minutes before we're done. So let me give you the last and final point. You ready? Jonah, first and foremost, we understand that in the storm, these are lessons from the storm. Sometimes God sends the storm to test our faith. Sometimes God sends a storm to get our attention. Sometimes storms just happen because that's just the world we live in. Here's the lesson we can learn. Number one, we understand that nothing happens without God knowing about it. He's all-powerful and he is our God, the sovereignty of God. But here's the second, you ready? Here's the third lesson. In the midst of the storm, here's what Jonah lost. Jonah lost the voice of God. You didn't hear the voice of God anymore. A lot of that happens, church, when we read our Bible and we just don't get anything out of it anymore. We're just like, um, did you need? Who? Gotcha. Got it. So we lost the voice of God. She was looking, so I just wanted to make sure, poor thing. Um, so he lost the voice. I mean, it happens to us when we read the Bible, guys, and we just don't. What happens is it becomes black letters on a white page. That's all it becomes. Lost the voice of God. What's the second thing he lost? He lost his spiritual energy. And I think when I, when I stop hearing God's voice, then I stop witnessing. I stop sharing God's word. He lost spiritual energy. Ben, there's a, there's a whole world that needs Jesus. Yeah, well, I believe in fatalistic theology. You go, what's that? 
I believe that God is sovereign, and if those people are going to get saved, they're going to get saved anyway. They don't need me. That's losing your spiritual energy, and that's not why God saved us, guys. He didn't save us just to save us. He saved us to use us, and if we'll come and we'll go, God, use me, and then he begins to use you, don't feel like you're being used. Know that you are being used and that God wants to do incredible things, but you've got that spiritual energy again. Guys, listen, go back when you were so fired up with the Lord, where you witnessed to everyone. Man, when, you, when I first got saved, man, I was like, I was telling people, I mean, it was the most exciting thing in the world. And then somehow we lose our spiritual energy. We just don't tell people about Jesus anymore. The third thing, he lost his power in prayer. He lost his power in prayer. But let me give you the fourth thing. Five minutes left. Five minutes left. You ready? What's the fourth thing? And this is the most important thing, guys. Hey, who are you? I'm Pastor Calvary Chapel. Really? All this is because of you? How come? I'm just disobedient. God told me to do something, and I said no. What did he lose here, church? He lost his testimony. He blew it. He lost his testimony right here. Jonah right here lost his testimony. He first wasn't living up to his name, right? What does his name mean? It's, it means dove and it represents peace. Jonah, you're supposed to bring peace. You're supposed to bring hope to the people. He lost the power of his testimony. Why? He had already told the crew, the crew, I'm running away from God. And when the storm hits, he's asleep. And when they ask him, guess what he says? Oh, I work for God. Uh, I want to close with this, guys. Here's some application real quick. You can jot this down. Lots of notes tonight. Let me give you some things to think about. You ready? Here are three things we can do to lose our testimony and not even know it. Here's some three things we can do. You ready? Number one, we can stop listening when we pray. Stop listening when we pray. You see, it may not even be a storm in your life, but but we start losing our testimony when we begin to pray and we just stop listening. Why? Because we think that prayer is now a what? A monologue, and I'm going to tell God all that's going on in my life, but I'm not going to take a second to listen to what he has to say to me. How does prayer work, church? Guys, open your Bible. Pray. Pray the scriptures. Read the scriptures because that's how God is going to speak back to you. That's the first thing. Just stop listening when we pray. Number two, stop making an effort to learn as you read the scriptures. Stop making an effort to learn. You go, what does that mean? Guys, when, when we read the scriptures, listen, I would encourage all of you to write a sermon. You go, what? When you read the scriptures, just write it out. Well, you, I'm not going to preach. No, 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 it's just for you. Take a journal and write out all that. God, why? Because that's how you learn. And here's the most beautiful thing. When you're reading the scriptures and, and you're making an effort to learn, guess what happens? Man, throughout the day at the light, you're thinking about that. You're thinking about that scripture. And, and God is speaking to you in amazing ways. And then you begin to grow. You begin to grow. When we stop making an effort, church, to learn as we read the scriptures, we can begin to lose our testimony. Number three, if we keep checking all the right boxes, 
You know, what does that mean? When we just simply do it for the sake of, because we're going to sh- just, just going to check the box. Hey, how many of you had your quiet time? I did, box check. How many of you read your Bible? I did, box check. Three prayers a day? Amen, box check. When we start, guys, when we continue just to check for the sake of checking, man, we can just lose that. Just lose that. All right, one minute. By way of recap, Jonah lost four things. He lost the voice of God. Now God has to speak through his works. Number two, he lost his spiritual energy. He lost the power in prayer. And then last of all, he lost his testimony. He lost his testimony. Listen, there's a huge difference between our reputation and our testimony. Okay? Our reputation is what people think of us because of us, but our testimony is what people think of God because of us. We can, we can blow our re- reputation. We, oh, man, I blew it. But when we blow our testimony, we're representing God. See, Jonah blew his testimony. You've got heathen sailors going, that's the God you serve. Are you serious? Huh. If we're called to love people back to life, then we need to guard against losing the voice of God, losing our spiritual energy, and of course, losing our testimony. So Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you for the wonderful nuggets of truth in the application. Father, open up our hearts, God, to to apply those things that we need to apply. God, search our hearts and help us to learn these things. Father, if we're here tonight and... um, we've lost that loving feeling like Jonah, then God, Father, help us to confess and purpose to obey. Father, we confess our sins to you. We want to hear your voice and we purpose to obey. We ask things, these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.